0: Well, good morning, church. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Cameron. Uh, I'm part of the young adults community here, so this part of the church right here. And it's a privilege uh, to have this opportunity to speak to you all this morning on this really impactful series. Um, I have to apologize from the outset. I've been sick all week and I still am a bit sick, so I've got my tissues here prepared. I might have to stop and cough and blow my nose halfway through the sermon. Um, And if I don't make it through, Grandma's promise she's going to come up and finish it off for me and probably do a better job too. Well, I really hope that this series has been impactful for you. Uh, It really has been for me as we've gone through God's truth. It's been such a great reminder. Uh, If you're new here or visiting, we've been going through the book of Ephesians. Uh, It's in the Bible. It's written by the Apostle Paul over 2,000 years ago. Why are we going through this book? Uh, Because here at Canterbury Gardens we believe that the Bible is not just a historical documents, but they are God's word written down for his people so they may know who he is and they may know his salvation. And so as we go through this passage today I encourage you to take it that way, to take it as God's word to us. So why don't we pray. I invite you to pray for me uh, as we begin, and also to pray for yourselves, that God may be glorified through what is said. Heavenly Father, I thank you that we have this opportunity to come here and hear your word. Lord, each of us desire here for you to speak, uh, and we pray that by your Holy Spirit, you'll be working in our hearts, helping us to see more clearly and more fully what you have done for us in Jesus, and more fully and more clearly what that means for us in the everyday living of life. We commit this time to you now, in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you've been coming here for the last few weeks, you would have seen that we've kind of got to the practical bit of Ephesians. Not that the first three chapters wasn't practical, but Paul was really, in the first three chapters, unpacking the mystery of the gospel, and highlighting that in all its glory. And now we've kind of got to the so what. Why does that make a difference to our everyday life? And Shabu took us through the first couple of sections of chapter 4. He began with this picture of unity, a big theme in Ephesians, that we were supposed to be one just as the Lord is one, just as there is one faith, one hope, one baptism. We must be one as a community. But also... In the second week, we saw that even though we are called to be one, we are very different. We have different gifts, different abilities, and yet those gifts and abilities are not so we can boost some people up and push some people down, but they are all to be used to build one another up so that we might be a community who loves better, both one another, God and the world. And so now we come to this section today. And Paul's going to unpack some things that we need to do both as individuals and as a community in order to thrive as Christians. And today we're actually going to cover something that I don't think will be new to any of you. I think you would have heard it all before. It's very foundational to our Christian faith, but despite that being true, I think it's something that we perhaps struggle most to walk it with in the everyday life. And in fact, if you don't understand today, you're probably going to misunderstand the rest of the do's and don'ts that come for the rest of Ephesians. And so let's get into it. Starting in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. Here's what it says. I'm reading in the ESV, but whatever version you've got is fine. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard of him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So Paul begins this section quite strongly. He says, This I say and testify in the Lord. It's kind of like he's saying, Listen, I need you to pay attention. What I'm going to say is really, really important. And what's important, he says, that we must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. I want to quickly talk about this word walk because I I find it to be a really helpful word and Paul uses it a number of times in this book. Uh, I think it displays really well this idea of a journey. We've made a decision. This is the direction we are going. It's not a run. It's a decisive move. It's the direction we are going. It's the everyday living of life. And so Paul's saying, in your everyday life, don't be like the Gentiles anymore. Who were the Gentiles? Well, basically everyone in this room is a Gentile. Uh, In Paul's day, anyone who wasn't a Jew was a Gentile. And he goes on to say, why? Why shouldn't we actually be like this anymore? And he gives a description. You'll see that he says they are futile in their minds, and then kind of goes on to explain what that means. Look at verse 18. They are darkened in their understanding. What, is, what does this mean? Well, I think it means that they haven't come to understand the mystery of this gospel. But more than that, I think it's talking about they, they have a darkened view of life. They don't understand the truth behind the way the world is supposed to work, how God created us to work. It's kind of like the matrix. They're still plugged in. They don't understand the reality of what's really going on. Because, you see, God created us to live in a certain way. He created us to be in relationship with him, to be obedient to him, not just so he can give us a bunch of rules, but because he knows the best way to live. And that darkened in the understanding is anything that does not live like this. Anything that does not live with God at the centre of and relationship with God at the centre. And in Paul's day, this could have been a range of things. Perhaps what he had in mind here with the Gentiles was worshipping the false gods and, and going to the temples and participating in all the terrible things that were involved with that. After all, Ephesians was the church of the sex god Artemis. But bring it forward to today, and I think we do well to remember here that this isn't just talking about all the the terrible practices that you can think of, the murderers and, and all these other things that, that you could think of. But it's actually talking about anything, anything that doesn't have God at the center. You see, the person who says, I'm going to pursue sexual pursuits for my whole life, and I don't care who gets hurt, is just as darkened as the one who says, I'm going to live in the everyday for the joys of this world. Because they don't have God at the center. They're missing the truth. They're darkened in their understanding. But before we get on our high horses and say, well, we're so much better than that, let us remember that it wasn't our wisdom and intellect that got us out. It was God's grace to us, his utter grace to us. And so they are darkened in their understanding. And then he goes on in verse 18, because of that, they are alienated from the life of God. They don't know his ways because of the ignorance that lies within them due to their hardness of hearts. Their hardness of hearts. And, and I like the way Paul talks about this, I think, in Romans chapter 1. He, he talks about people suppressing the truth, kind of pushing down God. They kind of know there's a God. People know there's a God, but they push it down because they don't want to have someone tell them what to do. They want to be God themselves. And so this is Paul This is what Paul's saying here. This is who the Gentiles are. This is all who don't believe in Christ. This is who they are. Don't don't be like that. That's not who you are. And then Paul goes on now to quickly explain the actions that these people participate in. Because you see, our actions always flow out of who we are. Our actions always flow out of our identity. So he begins in verse 19. They have lost all sensitivity and indulge in every kind of impurity. They are full of greed. And all of these things, I think, can be summed up to see that it's a self-centered life. A self-centered life. And and we see this all the time. I think our culture preaches a self-centered life. I mean, the number one message I see today is, is go live your dreams and it doesn't matter what people say. You can live your dreams. Be happy. Don't let anyone take that happiness away from you. Live however you want to live and don't let people tell you that's wrong. This is the message of the world. It's self-centered. And so Paul is saying here, don't live like that. That's not who you are. That's not who you are. Verse 21, look at this. It says, but that is not the way you learned Christ. That's not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him, as the truth is in Jesus. So Paul here is clarifying, this is not who you are called to be. This is why it's so important. You can't be like this. That is, assuming that you have heard of Jesus as the truth is in him. But I wanted to stop here briefly because I don't want to assume. I don't want to assume that everyone here knows Jesus. Because I think if I keep going and there's people in this room who don't know Jesus, they're going to hear wrong. They're going to hear that what Christianity is really all about is following all the rules, doing all the good things, avoiding all the bad things. But it's not. It's about a relationship. It's about transformation. So Paul says here that the truth is in Jesus. What does he mean? Well, I think he's referring here to the truth of the gospel, the truth that God created each one of us and that every single one of us have rebelled against him and said, I don't want you as God. I'm a better God than you. I'm much better at being God. And because we rebelled against him, the, the relationship broke. There was this chasm that could not be fixed from our side because we were tainted, we were polluted. And yet God in his mercy sent Jesus. In his absolute mercy sent Jesus, God in the flesh, who went to the cross and paid the penalty of our sin pay the penalty of all the wrongs, past, present, future, took it upon himself, died, was buried and then rose again and left us with this message that all who believe in him can have their relationship fully restored. A relationship that is based on grace and not our efforts. So he's talking about this truth but Jesus actually pushes this one step further because he doesn't just say that what he says is truth. Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the truth. And Jesus answers once and for all the question that people have been talking about since the beginning of the world right up to today. What is truth? And Jesus says, I am. The truth is a person. The truth is a person. And I think... There's a trap we can fall in today with Christianity when we think that what the understanding and knowing the truth is is about intellectually believing some facts. That the truth is me saying, Jesus is my Lord and Saviour. But anybody can say that. Anybody can say, Jesus is my Lord and Saviour. The truth is a person. And so the question is, do you know Jesus? And how? How do you know? How do you know if you know Jesus? For that matter, how do you know if you believe any truth that you think in your mind? Well, as I said, the truth is not about believing facts. And I think we we often get that in our heads. It's about believing facts. But the real question, the real way to know if you know the truth is, is your life being conformed to that truth? Because there's a big difference there? Does your life reflect the truth that Jesus is Lord and Saviour? Because we can't say we know something if it doesn't have any effect on the way we live. And, And I'm not talking about going to church and ticking the right boxes. I'm talking about transformation. I'm talking about the whole way we view life through Jesus dying and rising again. Do you know jesus and and please don 't hear me saying that do you have a perfect life if that was the standard none of us would have would be Christians here none of us would be Christians but what i 'm talking about is a worldview are we walking and living in this truth like I want to give some helpful tests and I know because I know some of you are probably like me who always put themselves in the bad box um, but that 's not all the purpose of this i don 't want you to feel guilty but I want to give you some tests to help you come to understand whether you know this truth, whether you know Jesus or not. So here's a series of questions. Do you have a desire to be obedient to Jesus? Do you have a desire to be obedient to Jesus? Or is your life about what you want to do? Is there parts of your life where you just want to do what you want to do? Do you have a desire to fight the sin that's in your life? Or don't you have a regard really for what God says? Is your Christianity an everyday reality or is it just reserved for Sundays? Is it an everyday reality or is it just reserved for Sundays? And does it no, sorry, and do you realise, although at times imperfectly, that you are accepted before God completely by Christ's work and not your own? And note I said imperfectly because we all at times forget this. We all at times struggle to believe this. And so if you were honest with yourself there and and couldn't answer those questions and said no to those questions, there would be some concerns there. And I'm not saying that you're not a Christian. I'm just saying there'd be concerns there whether you've come to know the truth because the truth must affect how we live. That's what the whole book of James is about. If you know the truth... It'll affect you. Do you know the person of Jesus? The truth about him. But but this is such good news. It's such good news that Jesus is the truth. Because Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So if you haven't come to know Jesus, you are welcome. It doesn't matter what you've done or the past you've had. You are welcome. Even if you've been hiding behind church and and these things, you are welcome because Jesus welcomes you. And so I encourage you to cry out to him. And maybe that's what you need to do today, to cry out to God. He will have mercy on you because it's Jesus' work, not ours'. And so that was a a little detour, but this is so important that we understand this before moving on. Because if we don't understand this, we will have no idea what's going on in this next part of this chapter. So let's keep reading from verse 20. Here's what it says But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and, and you were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And so Paul goes on here to explain what the truth is. He kind of expands more of what he's talking about and he says it involves putting something off, the old self. And putting something on, the new self. And you know, this is so important. We, we need to get our heads around what he's talking about here. What does it mean to put off the old self and to put on the new self? I want to start by talking about what this is not talking about. This passage is not talking about getting rid of the good actions in your, uh, sorry, getting rid of the bad actions in your life and doing the good stuff. It's not talking about don't lie, but tell the truth. That's next week. That's not what this is talking about. It's talking about the self. It goes to our very core, the core of who we are. It's not about outward action. It's about an inward change that leads to an outward action. He's speaking about a wonderful truth of what happens when we become believers in Jesus, when we come to know Jesus as the truth. You see, something incredible happens when we believe in Christ. Listen to these verses. They're all saying something similar. 2 Corinthians 5.17 puts it like this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Jesus talks about it constantly in John, about a new birth. Romans 6.6 6 says, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So you see, all these verses, though they're using different words, they're talking about the, the same thing. Something has changed within our very core. Something has died. Something has gone, and something else has come. It's a dramatic change that goes to the very core of who we are. And so what we want to do is we want to understand what does this mean, though? What is the old self and what is the new self that has come? The Bible speaks about both of these. And so we're going to do a little bit of contrasting here to what these things are. And there'll be a table up there that kind of explains it. So let's start with the old self. A lot of this is what we were talking about before when we were going through the Gentiles and who they are. The old self was when we were darkened in our understanding. We didn't know the way that life was truly supposed to live, to be lived. We didn't know God. We were living for things that could never give life, whether it be money, sex, or religion. We didn't know His ways. Elsewhere, Paul says in Romans that we were slaves to sin. We couldn't help but sin. We were sinners. We were children of wrath, deserving God's punishment. We were self-centered. We were unholy, unrighteous enemies, weak, guilty, full of shame, separated from God. This is what the Bible says about the old self. There's actually more than that. That's just the ones I found. But this is who the old self is. And what does Paul say about it? He says that if you're a believer today, that those things are crucified. They are dead. They are gone. And this is not a process. This is something that happens instantly. This is something that God in his grace does when we look to Jesus these things die with Christ. They're dead. And something new has come. What is the new self? Well, this is the key to this is in the second part of verse 24 in Ephesians you'll see put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So we've been given a new self it's been created by God to be like God. <laughs> Sounds pretty incredible, really. But what is he really talking about here? It's not a new concept to Ephesians. He's been talking about it all in chapter 1. And, and it's incredible if you take it to your heart. Like, like, what I want you to do is close your eyes for a minute and listen to some of these things that Paul says is true of us. When we believe in Jesus, just listen to these truths. As believers here, we are chosen by God. We are holy. We are blameless. We are sons and daughters of the King overall. We are redeemed, forgiven. We are heirs with Christ. We have an inheritance. We have been given the Holy Spirit, the presence and the power of God within us. We have been sealed with this Spirit. We are righteous, we are loved, with a love that cannot be taken away. We have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm. And so so what Paul is saying here is, this has taken place in your life. And as believers, we need to see this. And the importance of this cannot be understated. And the thing is, although this is something that God, by his grace, instantly does to us when we become believers, this is something that we need to fight for every day in, in living. It's like our minds need to catch up to what's really going on. This has happened, but, but we often don't feel like this. We don't often live as though this is true. It's kind of like we've been prisoners stuck in this cell for so long, and all of a sudden we've been taken out and given royal robes. It's like that's happened, but it's hard to live like that. It's hard to realize that that's the truth. And so Paul here is saying, this is the way you learn Jesus, and this is the way you need to continue to learn. You need to understand what has taken place. We need to fight for this every day of our lives. And you know, something that I've been observing, maybe in our particular denomination, or maybe it's just the people I hang around with, I don't know. But one thing I've been observing is I think we spend a lot more time putting off the old self than we do putting on the new. Like, let me explain what I mean. I I think we we keep a really good count of our sin. We think a lot about our sin. We um, measure a good week from a bad week by how much we've sinned, how much we've done wrong. We, We kind of, are we being good Christians this week or bad Christians this week? We often walk around with guilt and shame. We readily identify ourselves as sinners. We often feel condemned, feel guilty, feel worthless, feel not good enough. Feel like each day we're just trying to measure up to a God who's already approved of us. We walk around feeling like we just wish we could be that other Christian who's got it all together. But how often do we focus on the putting on? How often do we recognize just what God has done? That this change has gone to our very core. Like today, you who are believers, you're not a sinner anymore. You're not a sinner anymore. You sin, yes, but you're not a sinner. You're righteous in Christ. You don't have to be striving to be good enough for God each day. He's well pleased with you in Christ. You're not worthless. You're his special possession. You're not a slave. You're not a slave. You're free. You're not unloved, you are loved, you are a son or a daughter and a daughter of the king. You're not in bondage. You're free, completely. Do you believe this? Do you believe this about yourself? It's so important, because it's so easy as Christians not to walk like this. It's so easy to drift. Towards fear, to drift towards guilt, to drift towards believing lies about ourselves. But it's not the truth. And if we drift towards these lies, we're going to start acting like it. We're going to start acting like it. Let me explain what I mean. I think we've all done this before, but have you ever had something weird go wrong with your body? Let's say you've got a sore leg or you get some weird rash on you, um, and you need to get an expert's opinion. So you Google, weird rash on my skin. What does this mean? And within about two minutes of searching, you're convinced that you have about two weeks to live. We all do it. But I remember one time in my life where I was beginning to get shaky hands. And I was like, oh no, what's this? So I Googled like shaky hands and something came up to do with diabetes and shaky hands. And so I looked at um, the symptoms for diabetes after that. And I saw, there it was, being thirsty, overly thirsty being overly hungry, a dry mouth, feeling tired, uh, getting rashes and itchy skin, weight loss. And all of a sudden, these things were all true of me. All of a sudden, I was getting itchy. I was feeling like my mouth was always dry. I felt like I needed water. I was already skinny, so that couldn't have been a good sign. And not even exaggerating, within a few days, I had convinced myself I had diabetes and I was preparing for the life that was diabetes. So the symptoms gradually grew worse and worse and so I went to the doctors and told him what was happening. I said, I'm pretty sure I have diabetes. And, and do, you know what he, do you know what he did? He just flat out laughed at me. Like, didn't care about my pride at all, just flat out laughed at me. And he said, you don't have diabetes. You don't have diabetes. And I said, oh, no, I'm pretty sure I do. I'm pretty sure, like, I mean, I've got the symptoms. What else could it be? And so he goes, just to humor you, I'm going to give you a blood test. Just to humor you. Just to prove you that you're wrong. So he did the blood test, and, and sure enough, it came back, and no diabetes. And do you know what happened? All my symptoms disappeared. I, I was healed of the sickness I never had. It, it was a, a miracle. It was a miracle. But you know, it's a silly illustration, but I think this is how we often live as Christians. We walk around feeling guilty, and we talk to ourselves. You're so stupid. Why would you make that mistake? You're so, you're so dumb. Why would God love someone like you? I'm pretty sure, pretty sure he's abandoned you. What, what's going on in your life? We say these things to ourselves and before we know it, we're beginning to produce symptoms of a sickness that we no longer have anymore. We don't have it anymore. We're not guilty. We're forgiven. We're not sinners. We're righteous. But when these lies come in, when we believe these things, we start producing symptoms, we run to other things and make them God. We let bitterness and judgment build up in our heart towards other believers who are doing well. This can't be the way. These are lies of the evil one, and we have to see that. We have to see that. If you are a Christian here today, you are just as holy, just as righteous in Christ as every single other person in this room who is a a Christian, just as much as the pastor's. That's true. And so we need to walk in these things. We must walk in these things. Your old self is dead, crucified, gone. And your new life has come, and it's hidden with Christ. It can't be touched. It can't be taken. So we must, we must walk in these things but how do we do that? Because I think that's the question. How do we do that? We, all, we, we can see this. I don't think it's complicated necessarily, but how do we do this? And so as I finish, I want to give us three practical ways that we can walk in these truths in their everyday life. And I think the key to this is verse 23. I think it's in that position for a reason. It comes between putting off the old and putting on the new. And what does it say? It says, Be renewed in the spirit of your minds. I bet another version says, uh, I think, be, be changed in the attitude of your minds. I like that one as well. And I think this is key, because I think this begins in our mind. And so I want to give you three ways. And as I speak through these things, just remember that you have the Holy Spirit within you who can help you and work with you to transform you and, and put these things into practice. So three things I think that can help us as believers. Here's the first one. Wake up with the new self. Wake up with the new self. Like, how do you wake up in the morning? Do you wake up feeling like you're guilty? Feeling like you're not good enough? Feeling like you've got to have that quiet time. God's not going to be happy if you don't have that quiet time. How do you feel? What do you wake up feeling? I think we need to do whatever it takes to realize, to get in our heads that about who we are each day. We need to know who are we in Christ. Do you wake up as a son or a daughter or do you wake up as a slave to a sickness that you don't have anymore? If we don't stand in this every day, we will drift. We will naturally drift to the flesh. We will naturally drift to forgetting God's truths. And so I, I can't tell you what this looks like for you. You have to figure this out for yourself. I can tell you what it looks like for me. For me, I have to pray out loud each morning and pray these truths. You are loved today. You don't have to work to please God today. Christ has pleased God for you. In Christ, you are pleased with You, you are loved today. You are accepted today. I have to pray these things out loud because if I don't, I'll start walking in untruth. I'll start walking in fear and guilt and shame, and that will not be helpful for me but for you it's probably something different for my wife she can't do that that doesn't work for her at all she probably needs to write something on a board make it really pretty make something on the board look so she can visualize and see that's who i am in christ that's what i need to walk in for you maybe maybe you're a mum here and i'm not going to pretend to understand the kind of craziness that happens in your days but maybe for you it's it's putting verses everywhere where we can see them to remind yourself of who you are as you go about going what's involved, doing what's involved in your day. Maybe it's listening to a song. Maybe as you drive to work, you need to listen to something, a podcast or something that reminds you about who you are in Christ and what he has done for you and to root yourself in that as you begin your day. What is it for you? I don't know. Maybe it's painting something. Maybe it's something completely different to that. It's unique. It needs to involve the scripture, the truth of God's word. And this has to be a part of our mornings. It has to be a part of what we do. Because otherwise we're going to start living out of a lie. Wake up with the new self. Okay, number two. And this is very much linked to the first one. Have a gospel-shaped mind. I kind of stole this from the young adult's vision, but I think it relates here very much. It's, it's really linked to the first one. You know, we are very easily influenced people. Very easily influenced. There is always things that we are preaching to ourselves throughout the day, and there's always things that are preaching to us throughout the day. And if we're not aware of these two things, of what's going on in these two things, it's going to be really damaging for us. You know, through the movies we watch, through the face, things we see on Facebook, through the things we've followed on Instagram, through the books we read, through the people we hang around with, these things are all preaching a message to yourself. And, and I'm not going to be someone to stand up here and say, you can't watch this type of movie, you, you can't do this certain thing, you can't be on Facebook more than one hour a day. I'm not going to say that. But I will say, be careful. Be careful what you are letting influence your mind. Be careful about what messages you are believing. We are easily influenced. We need to capture these things. We need to recognize what's going on in our minds. Like, like let me give you an example. This morning when I woke up, I have about a million thoughts going through my head. I've got to get up and do this sermon. So one of those thoughts might be, and I hope they like it. I hope they like this sermon. If they don't like it, that's going to be a disaster. No, no, no. I have to tell myself, no, that's not the truth. Christ is already, God's already pleased with me in Christ. That's not the truth. It doesn't matter whether they like it or don't like it. Why does that affect who I am? Or, Or I might go the other direction and say, man, you're standing up there. Have you seen what's going on in your life? Have you seen the mess that's in your life? And you're going to stand there and preach to them? I have to tell myself, no, 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 no. It's not me. It's not about me. God's the one who's in me. Holy Spirit is the one who's going to be using this. It's not about my abilities. I'm just as much in need of Jesus as everyone else here. I have to preach that to myself. And this makes me sound really holy and good, but the thing is, oftentimes those things go unnoticed. Oftentimes those thoughts just stay in my head, and oftentimes I walk in those, and I start acting like it. We need to be very aware of what's going on in our minds. We need to capture thoughts early. Because the more we don't, the more we're just going to be living in those truths. We're going to be believing a lie. We need to tell ourselves the truth. We need to be careful about what's coming in and what we're thinking about. Lastly. Lastly, this is one for us as a family here at Canterbury Gardens. We need to be a community who can build one another up. We need to create a community who can build one another up. We need to encourage one another in the truth. You know, I think many of us here can be quite sceptical of some of the more charismatic churches around, but I can tell you one thing we need to learn from them is how much they encourage one another, how much they remind each other of what's true about who they are now, that they've become believers. And I think we get a bit nervous about this, but but we must, we must be a community who are willing to say to someone, hey, that's not who you are anymore. And I'm not talking even about actions, I'm just talking about reminding people you're loved. You're not a sinner. You're righteous in Christ. Can we be a community who has the bravery to say that. I find it a bit awkward. I find it a bit weird. I'm an introvert. I don't even like talking to people much at, at any time. So, how do I? So, we have to be able to have the bravery to do this, to be a community who can speak these truths, because if we're not speaking these truths into each other's lives, then someone else is going to be speaking false lies to our hearts. This must be a place where we come and be encouraged about who we are. And there is place, of course, for rebuking one another and, and reminding each other that we're not walking in, in good behaviour and those things. There's places for that, but that should always be rooted in a reminder of who we are in Christ. We must be a community. We must create a community that builds each other up. So, so there's three things. And you know what the challenge is? tomorrow morning when you wake up. Because this sounds all really nice. But we need to actually walk in it. The old is gone. The old self is gone. Crucified. Dead. The new has come. That's the truth. And we must realize all of this comes from Christ. All of this comes through the amazing truth that he died and he rose again. And he gave us a way back. It all comes from that. It all comes from him. This is not about boosting ourselves up and positive thinking and positive. It all comes from Christ. It all comes from him. It's all because of His work. And if you don't know Jesus here today, let me remind you that all of this is available to you. All of this. We're not special people in that sense. Where does everyday people who realize that we need Jesus? and if you believe that all of that is available to you the truth of the new self but either way we need to come to Jesus we need to ask him for help the help of his spirit to transform us to help him help us to walk in these truths the old is gone the new has come so let's live like that let's pray Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much that we can sit and stand here today as people who are redeemed, people who you have set free by the wonderful truth of Jesus. I thank you that Christianity is about a relationship with you. It's about a new life with you, a transformed life with you. Well, thank you that this is true of us. Lord, help us. We know we... we we, we struggle with this. We struggle in the day-to-day life. When we feel these false things come on, Lord, we struggle. Help us by the power of your Spirit within us to walk in truth, to capture our thoughts, to, to wake up with believing who we are in you and to be a community who can build one another up, who can encourage one another. Lord, we need you. Help us. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.